0: Welcome to the Venture Church podcast of Venture Church in South Mississippi. Find out more about us at VentureChurch.org. Well, good morning, everyone, and we want to welcome everybody that's tuned in online and then to everybody across all five campuses, to people in Jones County, Mississippi Gulf Coast, and everywhere else. And so, man, we're so glad that you're with us. And if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Timmy, and I have the privilege of serving on the team here at Venture. And so we're continuing our series called The Wonder Switch. And the way I want to start today is really just by asking you a question. And so my question is this, like, when's the last time that you stood in awe of something? Are you tracking with me? Like, when's the last time that you were captivated by the bigness of something or the magnitude of something or the power of something? And, you know, for some folks, if you lived here, you know, for a while and you experienced Hurricane Katrina in South Mississippi, that might be the moment that you kind of trace yourself back to just like, I mean, we all stood in awe of the power of Katrina and just kind of like what happened. Or maybe if you go gone to Disney World and you took your little girl when she saw, you know, Cinderella in the castle for the first time, it was just this magical moment. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, Wow. And just stood in awe and were captivated. And in this whole series, we've been talking about like the wonder switch and waking up the wonder of who God is. And, you know, to be honest with you, for me, I've had to ask this question, I think probably for you as well is, you know, I had to say, you know what, Timmy, when is the last time that I personally stood in awe of who God is? Like, when was the last time that I was just like, man, God is good or powerful or amazing? And so for me, it kind of takes me back to uh, a couple of years ago, we went on a trip. And it, I feel like this is a safe zone, can I, so can I let, let, let y'all in a little bit on to how I'm wired? I'm a little bit weird. And so for me, man, I love God's creation. And so I know I'm losing my bro points here, but I love a good sunset. You know, like I love the mountain ranges, and I love the beach and the ocean. Like I just, I'm captivated, and like I live for those moments, and so we took a trip, and it's a trip we take just about every year to an island in Southeast Asia. And just to give you a context, it's, it's considered like an unreached people group. So they're hardly, like there's, there's not a church. Um, they don't have a Bible in their language. You know, there's not a missionary. There's like 10 to 15 believers on this island. And so when we go, you know, we go with caution and those type of things. But here's the thing, is full disclosure, this island is probably one of the most beautiful places in the world. And so our last trip, kind of pre-COVID, uh, we ended up there, and I want to show you one of the places that we've, we found ourselves, and that's uh, Nicole and I standing there on the beach, and the guy that was with us had a little drone, so he was able to get the picture, but man, we walked out on this beach, and it's literally, in the you can't even like Google earth this place, like you can't find it, and so when we came out onto the beach and we saw that, like we were just thinking like, you've got to be kidding me. It was a moment where like the wonder switch came on for me. And there's another spot that we were that pictures don't even give it justice. You know what I mean? And so for me, it was like this moment where I just stood in awe, like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this is amazing. And it kind of like woke up the wonder. And so if you're like, if you're kind of weird, like me and anybody love creation and like beach sunset. Okay, great. I hope it's Stone County. I hope you're with me. So there's like five people here. Um, just kidding. But here's the thing is, is do you know one thing, the only thing better than enjoying a beautiful sunset at the beach? The only thing better than a beautiful sunset at the beach is knowing the God behind the sunset. That's the one thing that's better. And so here's the thing, when we lose our wonder of God, we lose our worship of God. And we need to understand that. Like when we lose our wonder, we lose our worship. And the whole goal of today is to wake up the wonder, for us to see the bigness of God, for us to see the magnitude of God, and for us to be able to see, man, that God is worthy. That's the whole goal. Like the end goal of today, I told you the whole message in five minutes, that God is worthy. And so can we just say, I think there's something good when we say that out of our mouths like, I don't know the last time that you said God is worthy. So at all of our campuses, can we say that? God is worthy. Can we do it one more time? God is worthy. The passage of scripture that we're going to look at today is in Psalm 96. And it's a, it's a worship psalm. David wrote it. But here's the thing is he wrote this psalm, but it's, it's, it's in the context of a story in the Old Testament. And so it was in this moment in 1 uh, Chronicles 16 that, where David actually wrote this psalm, and it's a worshipful psalm. And so the context is amazing. I just want you to understand it, kind of imagine it, you know, picture yourself there for a second. Is you, you basically have this Ark of the Covenant, which in the Old Testament was, it represented the presence of God. Like the goodness of God, the presence of God was within the Ark of the Covenant. And so the Ark of the Covenant had been outside of Jerusalem for roughly 75 years. And so the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't inside the walls of Jerusalem for like 75 years. And then David, he kind of takes this agenda, this, this, this goal on himself. And he's like, I'm getting the Ark of the Covenant back, back over there. And so he has the Ark of the Covenant with with some folks, and they march into the walls of Jerusalem for the first time, like the Ark of the Covenant made it there for the first time in 75 years. And so let me ask you a question. What do you think happened when the presence of God made it into Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant made it there? I mean, it was just an eruption of worship. Like everybody started singing, everybody started dancing. Like it was an amazing moment because don't miss this. The presence of God should always lead to worship of God. Are you tracking? Like the presence of God should always lead to worship of God. And so do you know what scripture says? That where two or more are gathered in my name, hello, God says, I will be there. And so I can stand here in confidence today based off of the word of God, that the presence of God is here. The presence of God is in Jones County and the Gulf Coast and Stone County and the Hunt Club campus because where two or more are gathered in my name, the presence of God is there. Can we get an amen, somebody? And so that should give us confidence, but it should also, we should remember that presence of God leads to worship of God. And we see that in Psalm 96, starting in verse one. It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and praise his name and proclaim his salvation day after day. One of my favorite verses in all the is verse three. It says this, declare his glory among the nations and his marvelous deeds among all people. So it's very clear that if the framework of our message today is God is worthy, then the first thing that he's worthy of is God is worthy of our worship. And if I were to ask you, I mean, let's just be honest, like, what is worship? I mean, that's a tough thing to answer, you know, to try to be able to describe, like, what worship is. And so, you know, you know basically, worship at its roots is simple. It's just a response. Worship is a response. It's not always a spiritual thing. Because, <laughs> I mean, let's just be real. How many times we worship things that aren't God? Mm-hmm. You know, so worship isn't always a spiritual thing. At its core, it's simply a response to someone or a response to something. And that's what worship is. And so today, can we have a little bit of fun and can we just pick on our Alabama football fans? Can we do that? Can we pick on them? Anybody okay with that, picking on Alabama? Because here's the deal. What's, how, you know how I know the difference between a true Alabama fan and a bandwagon fan? You tracking? You tracking? You know how I can tell the difference? It's how they respond. Like a true Alabama fan, <laughs> their response is a little bit different. And so I want to show you a clip of a true Alabama fan's response. <laughs> and so and so how many ladies are like praise god my husband's not the only one that does that (laughs) Um, but you see in some respects that's what worship is it's a response right but don't miss this worship is a response but here we are biblical worship, hello, it's a response to who God is and what God has done. That's the difference. So biblical worship is a response to who God is, to the bigness of God, to the glory of God, to saying like, wow, God is the creator. God is the sustainer of all things. And so biblical worship is a response to who he is, but it's also a response to what he has done. And a lot of you might be thinking right now, well, Timmy, you don't know the circumstances of my life it's hard for me to tell what God's doing right now. You know, from from losing jobs and kids just kind of haywire right now and marriage seems like it's falling apart and finances are just tough. And so right now, looking at my circumstances, it's really hard to determine what God's actually doing. Well, here's the thing. We just got to hit time out just for a second because we don't worship necessarily because of our circumstances. We have to back up and we worship because of the cross. And so it was on the cross when we think about What God has done, boy, it's on the cross that it's like the greatest display of God's love. It's the greatest display of God's wrath and his anger and his mercy and his justice and his glory. Like it all collides at the cross. And here's the amazing thing. And I know I'm excited, but think about this. Do you know what happens the moment that you put your faith in Jesus? You go from like spiritually dead, dead in your sins, deserving of God's wrath, separated from God. You put your faith in Jesus, the wonder switches come on. You see God is worthy and you go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive, adopted into the family of God, forgiven as a child of God. And so here's the thing, if there's anybody that has a reason to worship, I mean, come on, that should be us, the people of God. Because worship is a response to who God is and what God has done. And if we were just to use a little bit of reasoning and a little bit of logic, let me ask you a question. If our worship is puny and weak, what does that mean? Then it might be that our view of God and what God has done in our life is just a little bit weak and a little bit puny. And we should have extravagant worship because we've we've received extravagant grace from an almighty God. And so God's worthy of our worship, and he's also worthy of destroying our idols. And we see this in Psalm 96, starting in verse 4. It says, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the little G gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord has made the heavens. And so here's the thing: I know you're probably thinking, well, here we go. The preacher's just about to beat us up over all of our idols. That's not the case. But we but we do need to address it and we need to think about it because it's really hard to say, you know what, God? I give you all the glory and worship because I think you're worthy, but yet still worship idols. It's hard to do the, to the same thing, right? And so here's the thing is, you know what idols are, especially in the context of this series? Idols, it's pretty simple. They are the wonder killers of your life. The idols of your life are the things that drown out the wonder of God in your life. And literally all they are is just a counterfeit God. It's things that we go to, it's things that we pursue, it's things that we worship in hopes that it's going to fulfill us and it's going to satisfy us and it's going to give us the only thing that God can give. And kind of the way it plays out is we start to pursue and to worship the gifts of God instead of the giver of the gifts. You see, we get it kind of mixed up. We start to worship the things that God's created instead of the God that created them. And that's kind of what the idols are. And, you know, I could have gone through and did uh, basically, hey, let's look at the top five idols, you know, in America, like culturally. And we could have talked about, you know, money and sex and, and you know, fame and success and those type of things. But what I wanted to do was a little bit different, is I want us to look at idols based off of our Enneagram number. And so we all have Enneagram numbers, and if you don't know what the Enneagram is, you're thinking, that's a strange word, never heard of it. Well, it's okay, we did a series called The Nine, and it's on all nine Enneagram numbers. So you can just go back and watch it. Great resource, figure out what your number is. But here's the thing, we're all bent towards something. So we're gonna go through all nine of these numbers and just, fellas, word of advice, when we get to the number that your wife is, don't be like elbowing her, okay? Don't be going like, uh-huh, that's her. Don't, don't do that, okay? Free advice. Number one, the perfectionist. If you're one on the Enneagram, you're a perfectionist. It's the idol of control, where you start to control everybody and everything inside your life. And that's kind of what becomes the idol is like, I gotta have control, I gotta have control, I gotta have control. Twos are what's considered the, the helper. And so it's this idol of codependency where you find your identity in some respects and being everything to everybody. Like you have to be almost like their savior. Like you gotta fix everything. Threes are the achiever. It's this idol of, of, of like being successful. And maybe if you can't be successful, you at least want to appear successful. So fours, you're the individualist. And this is a little bit different, but it's the idol of kind of like unattainable con- contentment. And so if you're a four, it's like, I got to be unique. I gotta figure out how to be unique and creative and and I gotta be special and I gotta stand out and these type things. And so that's kind of where you're bent towards. That's the idol there. Five is the investigator. This is my wife. <laughs> so gotta be careful here. But the idol of, you know, uh, basically like protecting the time and the calendar, just having a vice grip on all the moving pieces in, inside the life, inside like the the day because fives are always trying to figure out how to ration their time and energy. Six, you're the loyalist. And so if you're a six on the Enneagram, it's just this idol of always trying to be secure. So anything that opposes like your little security blanket, it causes fear to rise and it just kind of cripples you. So it's the idol of, hey, this is secure. I got my little protective area here. Nothing, Nothing comes inside of this. Seven, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. It's the enthusiast. It's the idol of always desiring more, like more this, more that. It's kind of like gluttony in some sense, you know. And so the problem with that is, is we miss out on right here and right now, sevens do, because we're looking at what's next. And that's the idol. We can't be like in the moment, you know. Eights are the challenger. Like it's the idol of being, having strength we're in every situation. You gotta be able to push and prove your agenda because you're strong. You're the challenger. You, you challenge people, people's ideas. Uh, and nines are the peacemakers. And it's just this idol of comfort where you'll so easily be bent to just take the path of least resistance. And so we all have a tendency to, to bend certain directions. And this is what Tim Keller said. Like if you want to destroy the idols of your life. I love this quote, especially in light of this series. He says, Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination and more attractive to your heart than your idol. Then you will replace your counterfeit God. And at the end of the day, think about it. If Jesus truly is worthy of our worship, then he's worthy of you and I to destroy these idols that oppose our worship. And the last thing is this, that he is worthy, God is worthy because he is a global God. I love this. Look at Psalm 96 in verse nine and verse 10. And this is kind of where we're landing the plane today. So verse nine says this, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness, tremble before him all the earth, Say among Mississippi, no. Say among the Bible Belt, no. Say among America, no, hang on. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns and the world is firmly established in it and cannot be moved. And so what we see is that God is a global God. And, and hear me say this at Venture, man, one thing that we try to do every week is, is we want to give you a very practical next step. You know what I mean? Like we want this to be a tangible thing where you're like, oh, wow, I encountered God. Here's my next step. We want it to be practical. But, but can I just be honest? Is that sometimes what we don't, we don't necessarily need the practical, but sometimes we need a perspective. Sometimes we need a, a bigger view of who God is. It's called a, a biblical worldview. And so what I'm trying to do today is kind of wake up the wonder to give us a bigger perspective for us to see, man, come on, like we've put God in a box. He is a global God. And can I just be real? Over the course of this past, do you know like this day a year ago was our first fully online experience? And so this past year for everybody has been kind of turbulent. You've been in the airplane where you hit the turbulent thing and the little mask comes down, everybody screams. You've been there. That's kind of how life has been for a year. It's been crazy. All this political stuff, All it's just been nuts. And here's my fear. My concern is this, is that if we're not careful living here in America, we're going to think God's number one agenda is America. And I got a newsflash for you, the God that we serve, he is a global God. And I'm not trying to get your feathers like ruffled and you get, you know, whatever. No, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to love you. I'm trying to shepherd you here. We have to see that he's a global God. And, and here's the thing. Do you know we're like, uh, I don't think, think about it this way. And so when I say that, I got to be careful because you might say, well, well, Timmy, is God concerned about me? Yes. Hear me say that loud and clear. Yes. God is concerned about you. Man, he loves you. He's concerned about every detail in your life and every kid that you have. He's concerned about your marriage and your, like he's concerned about you. He knows every hair on your head. He's the one that uniquely designed you. So he is concerned about you. Is he concerned about the political and crazy climate of America? Absolutely. Absolutely. It goes in the face of the Imago Day principle. You can read about that later. He is deeply concerned about that. But let me ask you another question. Is God concerned about the 29 million people in Nepal that live way below the poverty line and 96% of the people in Nepal have never heard the name of Jesus? Is our global God concerned about them? Yes. Is God concerned about the 16 million people in Chad, the country of Chad? where one out of every five kids don't make it to their fifth birthday because they have nothing to eat? Is he concerned about them? Yes. Is he concerned about the 160 million people that live in Bangladesh, where every year 50,000 kids and women get brought into human trafficking, never to get out of it? I think so. And so so do you know where all of human history is heading, like the culmination of human history, where this whole thing's colliding? All of this is heading to the global, hello, the global worship of God where we see in heaven around the throne, people from every single tongue, tribe and language and people group on the planet. Why? Because he's a global God. I mean, if you don't believe me, just look at Revelation chapter seven. And and, and this is a, a beautiful passage of scripture. John who wrote it, he gets a little glimpse over the curtain, you know, so he gets to see what's happening around the throne of God. And this is what he saw. He says, after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. People from every nation, every tribe, every people group, every language was standing before the throne, standing around the lamb. And they were, they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And here it is, the culmination of human history, thousands of years of history. It's all colliding into this one moment, are you ready? It says, they fell down with their faces before the throne, AKA before Jesus, and they worshiped, they worshiped, they worshiped God saying amen and praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, amen. And that's where all of this is heading. And man, the moment that we see that he's worthy and we see that he's a global God. It changes everything. And so what is God worthy of? Man, he's worthy of your time. He's worthy of your energy. He's worthy of your affections. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of destroying idols. He's worthy of of doing whatever it takes to get healthy. He's worthy of loving your wife well and loving your husband well. He's worthy of, of, of everything. And my prayer is this, because there's coming a day where everybody, all of humanity is gonna see that our God is worthy. That day's coming, mark it down. But my prayer is that you see that he's worthy today because with all the love and grace, I know how to say it because on that day, it's too late. And so may God wake us up to his wonder and his glory today. Because when we see that he is worthy, our life will fall in suit. Father, I pray that today that we would see that you are worthy. God, that you're worthy of everything in our life. You name it, you're worthy of it. And God, I know that sounds super, super churchy, but God, that's the only way to say it that you alone are worthy. You alone sit on the throne. And so God, I pray that our life's response is to that. And God, there's nothing I can say in this, in this moment. There's nothing I can do in this moment to, to open people's eyes and hearts to see that. And so God, I'm just asking, I'm begging, I'm pleading for a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit to wake people up to the wonder of who you are. And so God, we love you. God, we trust you. And God, I pray that during this next song across all of our locations, God, that we would worship you because of who you are. And so, God, we love you and we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.